0: That really impresses me about Dr. Will Flavel is that he is incredibly passionate about a couple of different things and he works so incredibly hard on them. Um, the first one is education. Uh, he is one of the few people I know that's gone off and earned a PhD and then continued his education afterwards because he's genuinely interested in learning so much and soaking up information. The other thing is how he goes out and helps people. And and as a member of the Henderson-Massey local board out west, that's meant a lot of physical stuff over the last couple of months with with everything that's happened out there. But there's also an element of trying to help younger people come through so that they can stand in elections and giving advice in that respect. Uh, As a former head of Māori at Rutherford College, he was a big integral part of the community there. And that has all fed into what he studies and what he's passionate about. So I was really honoured that Will was able to sit down and have a chat with me. I realise with everything he's juggling at the moment he must be incredibly busy, so I very much appreciate it. I really hope you enjoy this interview. There's a lot of stuff in to process and I think some of these conversations are really important that should be having had on a larger scale than just on this one-on-one interview. So I really do hope you get something out of this. So the, the this is really laid back and relaxed and totally informal.
1: Um, the reason I wanted to get you on here is because you do two things that really impress me, like really impress me. Um, most people I know who have gone on and done something like a PhD, that's where they stop. It's like they've hit their target of what they were aiming for. They've got the qualifications. You keep learning, like you keep going back to education and doing new things and studying new things and some fascinating things in there as well with what you're learning the other thing that you do is that you take everything that you've learned and like it obviously accumulates and that drives your passion for the work that you're doing within your community and I'm like I have to get you on here because that's honestly the most fascinating thing that I could think that somebody could do you're picking up as much Mm -hmm. education as you can and you're using it in a really positive way and I'm kind of wondering what drives you to do that
2: Thank you. Um, Yeah, um, first of all, you know, I have have a love of learning. And so uh, for me, I'm I'm very curious about the world around me. I'm curious about how other people act, how other people think, how other cultures interact. That's why I really love being in multi uh, cultural settings, for example. Um, And um, I think that, you know, I think that I'm blessed um, with the skills that I can support. uh, you know such diverse communities and i love doing so that's what i love to do i love the idea of service i'm um, giving you know using your skills to better uh your community your whanau
1: um the people around you so i, I yeah I, I love doing that sort of stuff so are you still on the board henderson massey yep. board because you, yep. you were deputy chair but you stepped down from that didn't yeah you? Um, so um for uh we made an agreement that i would be for the first half of this term
2: Mm-hmm. and then i would swap with someone else who really wanted to be deputy chair <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'll well, give you an opportunity well, why were they so keen for it Does it it's it's, it's, it's it's a power thing sometimes
2: okay um so um when you're a chairperson so our chairperson at the time the first half was you know the honorable chris carter former minister of education yes. and so it was great to work under him but you're, I guess as chairperson, deputy chairperson, you're also privileged to a bit more information. Uh, you're privileged, yeah. Um, And so with that, you're able to, I guess, do whatever you want with that particular information Um, in your, in your own job. So, yeah. Did, did it ever
1: feed back into any of the other work that you were doing? Oh, massively. Oh, okay. Massively.
2: Yeah, massively. So, um, you know, for example, I was privileged enough to be in... Um, some meetings where we had meetings with, with, with the police, for example, looking at some of the cases happening in West Auckland, um, just keeping us in touch with um, how we can um, support issues around policing, for example, on um, community safety and things like that. So the deputy chair and the chairperson are privileged to some aspects that uh, typical local members
1: aren't. OK, so, so having come from a place where we don't have local boards, because Hamilton has nothing like that, um, what is the position of local board? Like, right? how does it fit within what democracy does within a, an area like Auckland, for example? Yeah. So, um, so um, Tamaki Makoto, Auckland has twenty-one local boards,
2: and, um, and something like one hundred and forty-seven elected representatives across yeah, those boards like and that, council. So, yeah. yeah. So, if you if you look at um, all those elected to the twenty-one local boards, you've got your governing body, councillors. Um, you've got those elected to the DHB, um, the licensing trusts, for example. So, yeah, um, we're almost like mini city councils uh, because, um, for example, in Mahina Sumasi local board area, we've got about 127,000 people. So it's huge. So yeah. the local board out here in West Auckland, uh, you know, ha- is bigger than most councils around Aotearoa. That, that's um, the population
1: of Dunedin. wow. Yeah. 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 So like, like that's a huge area. I was talking to uh, Richard Hills the other day on oh, yeah. North Shore. It, it's 150,000 people on the North Shore. Yeah, that, that's, that's more than the population of Tauranga. It, it's insane. And I don't think people outside the city realise that.
2: It, it is insane. Um, but the, the idea was, you know, when the super city was implemented in 2010, was supposed to be like a shared governance uh, role. So they got rid of the the other big councils. So Waitakere used to be Waitakere Mm -hmm. City Council. They turned it into this massive uh, city council and created all these different local boards. Um, You know, you can say that a lot of people here in West Auckland mourn um, the loss of the Waitakere City Council um, Mm -hmm. because because we had our own character, our own way of doing things and having to sort of... um, now, become this real wide generalized um, general council. Um, you know, there are issues with keeping that local feel to, to things. So, it's been like, 10, 11 years now, and I think people are starting to get the idea of, of what local boards do. Basically, um, we make local decisions based on the power that we have as local boards. Um, and there'll be issues around our community facilities, our roading projects. Um, Issues with um, lease um, for the different um, council buildings here, um, playgrounds, libraries, um, infrastructure. So yeah, quite a few things.
1: I think a lot of people don't realise just how much work goes into that. Uh, I can I can imagine that your workload just from the board is quite intense.
2: Yeah, it is. It is quite intense. So it's my third term now, believe it or not. So I was wow. elected back in two thousand and thirteen. You would have just and, moved um, to the city, then, wouldn't you? I, I was—I was only a few months. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I—I was—I was, I just moved for a job at Rutherford College. I was head of Māori studies at Rutherford College, and then I got sort of shoulder-tapped up. You know, it'd only been a few months to, if I would run. And to be honest, I didn't even know what a local board was. <laughs> um, i by fire. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I was against, you know, and I put my Myself against others who had been, you know, elected since the '70s, the '80s. So they were they were well known. So how on earth was I, this person? So I was young, Māori, So maori don't usually get elected. How am I supposed to beat these, uh, these, these wealthy, um, uh, you know, elected members? And so what they, what, what I did, what which they didn't do, is that you know, campaign hard. They relied on their name alone yeah. and so I door knocked for seven months every weekend and was wow. able to beat incumbents former mayors. Wow. And yeah third term
1: now so yeah it's been Well awesome. done. Are you doing a fourth? Are you, have you planned that far ahead? Because it's still 18 I months it, I think until the yeah. next one isn't it?
2: So the next one uh, is next year. Oh is it next year? Oh wow. It's yes, next year. Um, I want to think about it very carefully because I also want to support other young particularly Maori So we've never had Pacifica elected to the Hennessy-Massey local board, considering that we're 22% Pacifica. That's out of it. It is. Um, And I want to support more younger people coming through um, as well, because we need younger people. We need diverse voices at the decision-making table. Because when I I went to a local board meeting just before my first um, election... You know, there was no one under 55 years, years old. There was no Māori. There were no Pacifica, And I thought, wow, this can't be representative of, of our very diverse young community here in West Auckland. So when you were first elected, did you feel the weight of that on your shoulders? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, wow, well, you're the only Māori here. Um, and you're under 30. I think it was about 26. you 26 at the time, 26. Whippersnapper. Oh uh, uh, well, <laughs> in that context. Um and I yeah, it was it was a, it was very scary at first. Um and I did have the um I felt the pressure of of Māori community, of of the youth community, um as well. And because it was my first time, the machinery of Auckland Council was huge. So it took me a couple of years to figure out how to operate in such a massive
1: space. Do you think you've made a positive impact? I hope so. I hope so. Um, and it's, it's always a hard thing to tell when you're still in the middle of it.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Like, for example, one, I want people to be able to look at me and say, you know what, if he can do it, I also can do it. Um, I don't have any particular special skill or anything. I, I'm just someone who really tries their best. Um, and I, I always rely on. Um, their extra effort and hard work over talent um, and so i hopefully can um, you know really motivate others to be able to put their names forward because that's the that's the most difficult uh, first step was actually putting your name forward
1: yeah um yeah the last local election there was a groundswell of youth candidates or younger candidates around the country which was fantastic to see did any of them approach you about you know how to go out there and tackle a local election?
2: Yeah, absolutely. A, a lot,
1: particularly a lot a,
2: a lot um, in the last few months, actually, who are planning okay. for next year, because you actually have to plan a year in advance. Yeah. You know, for example, you need to be able to find the campaign money. So that's for billboards, that's for letters, that's for leaflets, etc. cetera. Um, you actually need a really good campaign team around you, so you. This is something you can't do alone. You actually need people around you that could be friends, Farno um, to support you. Um, but if you're a newbie who doesn't have sort of like um, a community, you know if the community doesn't know you, that could be quite a, a struggle too.
1: So you actually have to really get there, get out there and, and really campaign properly. So any advice for them in terms of what works in in reaching people these days? is it has it changed from when you first got on the board or has, has, have you noticed well, it evolve? I use a combination of both social media
2: and getting out there. You cannot just simply rely on social media to get elected. That won't get you elected. So we've got very low voting turnout, turnout as well. So, for example, in West Auckland, it was around about thirty-five percent voting turnout. That's postal. Mm-hmm. So people who are older, who own their own home, um, who park here, are, are more likely to vote, and, and that's so, a nationwide uh, thing. But
1: that, that, that tends yeah. to be a nationwide
2: thing. Yep, and, and
1: with the postal
2: voting, because there are so many families that have to um, move out of, you know, constantly move. It could be due to high rent or owners wanting to um, you know move into their, their homes again. So um, people who are likely to move around constantly are not likely to vote. Um, so um, yeah, a very low voting to Now I'm, 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 I'm for the idea of voting online um, I really want to. I really want to push that. I think that that is the way. Or possibly, if you match up voting of local government to central government, let's actually have that same seriousness. You know, let's advertise it on TV. Let's have a, a, a one full day of voting for your local government members, but actually have a few also days
1: um, leading up to that particular day. So, because local government is just as important as central government, I believe. Yeah, I don't think many people realise just how many different areas of their lives that that local government impacts. Otherwise, they'd probably be a little bit more enthused about it. I I know when you're dealing with somewhere like like Kirikirua, it's the city council that's in charge of all of the elections and they do all of the marketing to go out there and get people enrolled and get them voting and stuff like that. Is that the same for the local board? Does does the Auckland council organise that or does the local board have some impact in how they get people enrolled and voting? Yeah, so that's definitely
2: an Auckland Council. Um, okay. Yeah, Auckland Council because you know um, you know the the local boards are Auckland Council. Mm. So it's, it's it's yeah people have sort of separated um, the local boards are different from say your you know city council and um, council so councillor of Richard Hills for example um, we we're all council we're all council far it's huge mm-hmm. um, but yeah Auckland Council does. Um, Take charge of advertising um, to get people to vote, particularly young
1: people and those who wouldn't normally vote. That's the most difficult challenge. It really is. I don't know. If, I think there's maybe two regions in the last local elections that increased their voter turnout from the previous years. Like it's a, it's an uphill battle for everybody to get everyone out there and and having their say. And those places had um, polarizing figures that were running. Like they had candidates that were just generally horrible people that nobody wanted it. but they got in because of low voter turnout. So it, it must be a hell of a juggling act. It's,
2: yeah.
1: Um,
2: you know, so every time I look at the um, the election time, um, so you, there are eight positions available in the henderson Local Board. Um, you usually have around 28 people going for eight places, and you probably need around... Um, minimum of eight thousand votes in order to get in. Yeah. I, I would assume. Um, so it is quite challenging. It is quite difficult, but you just have to really put yourself out there. And as someone, I, I'm a, I call myself an extroverted introvert. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm not a natural person to put myself out there, but I, but I can do, do, do the it, job. You do it really well though. The, Perhaps a little bit of that can be uh, acting skills, but I actually <laughs> have to. Um, yeah, it's not something I, would, I I feel naturally comfortable with putting myself out there. Um, there are a few anxious times um, during election periods, um, but I I know that if I really want to get elected, I keep my keep my mind on the the end goal.
1: Yeah. Um. How much trouble do you get into with um, like physically getting up and talking? Because obviously there'd be meet the candidate events and stuff like that. That's where you, you will find the people who are the most um, enthusiastic about issues. Um, have you ever come across any problems where, you know, you're being given blatant false information or people are just in your face about something that, that's completely inconsequential where you have to sort of respond on the spot?
2: It's, yeah, it's interesting. So a, a lot of the questions that get posed to us even now, is on is on the community Facebook pages. Yep, and sometimes I think, oh my gosh, where did you? How did you make this stuff up? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's it's um it's really bad. Sometimes um, I think, oh, where did you get this information? Um, I used in the beginning. I used to respond to uh, people's fake news on social media, but I tend not to now. Um, just for my own sanity reasons, um, I thought, you know what, actually don't even bother um, conversing with this particular person because i have got a particular angle. They're never going to change uh, their particular mindset. Um, but, yeah, those Meet the Candidates uh, meetings are always interesting. There are fewer and fewer of them as less people actually tend to go to these meetings. That's you true. have the same sort of people that do attend um, and sort of the older people, um, but it's really important
1: to show face anyway. Yeah. Um, and what fake information at the moment is everywhere. Like it, it, It's really horrible out there at the moment. You've come out as an advocate, obviously, for vaccination. And, and I'm guessing, are you fully vaxxed? One shot? Absolutely. I know both yeah. Um, uh, about six, seven weeks ago. OK, see, I've only had one shot. I had one on Friday last week. I, I scheduled it before everything happened. And then I thought, well, now nah, if I'm home and I'm not in any trouble, I'll just wait and not overflow the system um how much misinformation do you get sent to you as an elected person going why are you not doing this or why are you following it? do you get anything like that from people out there yep yeah. so um you know i get the old email i
2: get the old um private message sent to me sent to me about that i look at my particular friends on facebook as well even old school friends and i think wow you know what why 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 are you doing this um because you know, people talk about oh, our freedoms and etc., but actually we've got to think beyond ourselves. And so for myself, I think about future generations, about our know, future um, grandchildren, for example, trying to make it better for them. And so that's what our, our aim should always be, to make the next generation better um, than our current generation. So I want to ensure that you know we're at least 90% vaccinated. I think it's a really good number. Um, I love to travel, poor. Um, and yes, so I know. I like to one day. You, you you had to cancel your trip to Rarotonga, didn't you? I did. I
1: did. That's gonna yeah. hurt.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I I love to travel, and that did that did hurt. But um, I know for the for the betterment of 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 our community, of our nation, that actually you know it was the right choice to do.
1: So hopefully, go back um um next year sometime. Uh, everything will open up soon. I'm sure of it. Like, everything seems to be getting under control despite yesterday's numbers, and we can sort of see where everything's going. So, yeah, touch with it. You can travel soon. And I really
2: like the idea the Prime Minister was talking about the trial of the MIQ at home.
1: Yeah, Um, I thought that was a really clever way of doing it, a really impressed way of doing it.
2: I I think that there has there has to be the way as well. Um, we we look at the burden that uh, many hotels and facilities are experiencing, and actually, it it does make sense to be able to do do so from home. So, I'm looking forward to
1: how that trial will eventuate. Yeah, because it's low risk people anyway that they're looking at having involved in that trial. People who are already vaccinated and have been to low risk places. So, it makes sense that that's sort of the next step that we go for. It's um. You guys don't have any MIQ hotels out your way, do you? Not out West Auckland, no. No, they're all sort of central and south, aren't they? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but West Auckland has had a hell of a last couple of months. Yeah, oh man.
2: Um, <laughs> where do we start? <laughs> from the floods, you know, from the floods uh, to the uh, horrible incident in New Glenn um the flea the floods are really concerning i remember that night very well because well you were up for most of that night weren't you i don't usually stay up till you know (laughs) that night i I said okay and then i was reading all the facebook you know posts in the community about like you know cars and streams um cars being sort of you know moving yeah being washed away Yeah, so I, I made sure that I was on the phone with Auckland Transport. What could they do um, in terms of, um, you know, alleviating the pressure of the water on the roads? Um, people were, escape, you know, had to leave their homes. So it was it was great that we had an emergency centre just down the road the Henderson Council Chambers. Um, yeah, um, it was a really bad, you know, incident. Um, I mean, um, bad flooding, but a lot of the um, people have been able to go back into their homes now. There's still a few roads out out in the Waitakere Ranges uh, area, which are really bad at the moment that the um, work people
1: are uh, still working on. Um, but hopefully things will be better. And what's the train of information that comes through to you as an elected member for that? Like, Do you get a phone call going? we need your help or just letting you know this is going on or was it a no i'm watching the news and holy crap i can't believe this i've got to jump into action
2: um for a local board member you just have to jump into action yeah um yeah uh and it's really important to do so because we are paid as representatives of our community um and that's that's our job to support the community where we can um so you just have to jump in there and so um ensuring that um i can be uh, in between person between the community and what the council can do to offer to offer support, um, so it's really more of a council. That was more of a, a council issue rather than say getting your local MP um, yeah. involved it would be a council um, council representatives it would
1: be more ideal people to work with. And from what you can tell, everything is sort of back to normal now for most people. Yeah, for most people, I mean, they're still working um, on on some of the. I don't know if you saw some
2: of the big pictures where roads were collapsing, for example. And yeah. um, it was massive, so people have been out there um, every day to to fix those particular issues because that stops access into particular parts of that of that of that area. Um, yeah, very scary to see, but um, yeah, things are getting better. Yeah, um,
1: is was is more within your your ward?
2: It's just a kilometer out, but I, yeah. I use them all the time.
1: Yeah, I I use it all the time. Yeah, I, I was talking to uh, Deborah Russell the other day, and she was like, "It's just where everybody goes, you know. It, it's the community hub to go do your shopping and get your haircuts and everything like that." Um, what was that day like for you? Right, like, like, Were you sort of given a heads up, or was it another? It's on the news, and oh crap, what do I do? And can yeah, you do anything? It-
2: I had a particular um, online event that I cancelled because I really wanted to focus on um, on this particular event. Um, so I, I know the community very well. Um, before I moved into the new house that I just bought this year, I lived close by um, to New Lynn, so I was I was there most weekends, for example. And so um, to see what happened in Lynn more, um, yeah, it was it was devastating. Um, and I have to jump in, um, talk with my colleagues to see what other support we can do. But um, it's very concerning. Um, but the you know the, they did the right thing, and and we actually have to look at what do we do now because you know the police did have information, the police were following this particular person. But how can we ensure that this incident doesn't happen again? I think that's the next question.
1: Parliament this morning passed the anti-terrorism act that so planning so planning terrorist acts and things like that are now considered illegal that it gives them a bit more power that they didn't have beforehand so that this sort of thing doesn't happen again um i'm genuinely impressed with how fast that feels like it's happened but i know it's been in the works for a couple of years now um and you work very closely with the labor party you're, you're very closely affiliated with them you're on their policy council aren't you yes i am i am the chair of the justice The 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 Justice Committee, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so what does that involve when it comes to sort of policy planning the rest of this term, looking at next term, how the country changes in the middle of things like lockdowns and outbreaks? Yeah, so with with the Justice Policy Committee, um, so what we do,
2: um, so earlier this year, for example, um, um, the Labour Party had um, their regional meetings across Aotearoa and sort of come up with remits on that, how what they would like to see the Labour Party implement um, for the next general election. And so our focus was to collate all the justice-based remits, proposals, mm-hmm. policy proposals. And so I've been working with, so as the chairperson, I've been working with the other uh, committee members on the on Justice Policy Committee to look at ones that we think should go ahead or, or those who think, mm, a few questions, Question marks on some particular um, proposals, and then what we've done is we've worked with the different um, ministers on on their views on um on, on their views on what they're doing to actually propel some of these um, policy proposals because they could be already working on some and um, that they haven't um, told us about yet. And um, so the idea is basically to involve you know Labour Party members and um, to get them involved in shaping what um, Labour could be pushing forward for the next general election. So th-
1: this is very much a planning for the election kind of process. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yep. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. How did you end up with justice? I would have thought education would probably be more the policy area that, that you well, focus on.
2: I don't know if you know Bali Hark. Um, no, I can't say that. Bali he um he's the maestro in education. He, he'd be my top five education um, People in this country, in terms of, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so a former principal, um, very um, has massive knowledge um, in NZQA. Um, he's written books on how we could change the education system. I've written a book yet, Paul? Um, so, <laughs> You've got time. So, um, <laughs> so um, yeah. So naturally, he, he's he's leading that um, particular committee. So I took on justice. So I am I am doing a. Um, some study on um, a master's of criminal justice and criminology so it's been able to match um some of the new learnings that i've been i've been taking on at aut um so yeah i'm i'm, I'm enjoying the challenge um this is it's good you know it's actually good to go out and, and to do something new as well because education has been my focus for so long and it's like see wow, this is different and i'm really enjoying this part
1: and which came first, going back and studying criminology because you had that justice portfolio or studying criminology and then stepping into the justice portfolio?
2: It was really it was really weird, weird because I got accepted into the um, criminal justice uh, program um, late last year and there was no way that I thought I would, um, you know, be the chair of the Labour Party justice. <laughs> I, mean, I there's no way. I, I wanted to go in with an education. I wanted to be the education um, chairperson Um, but when I saw Bali put his name, someone who I've looked up to for 15, 16 years, um, he was an actual fit. So, okay, cool. And I had this opportunity and I'm taking it on board. Makes sense.
1: And, And you're obviously enjoying it. Yeah.
2: I mean, so Paul, um, I'm, I'm actually looking at, um, basically if there's a connection between schooling experiences and those who um, you and those who commit crime as, as a young person. okay so is there, yeah so basically you know, is there a connection between um, youth offenders and, and some of their experiences at school? Um, and so that's been it's my, my focus for this year. Um, you, you've really spoken quite
1: extensively, haven't you, on how passionate students are when they come to school and learn and how that sort of drives them to keep going to school. And versus having a bad experience at school and not wanting them to go get that education.
2: Exactly, yep. And if you look at our current prison population in New Zealand, you've got um, 70% of um, particularly Māori males who have poor literacy skills. So you can already see right there that um, literacy, um, if, if you're um, not performing, Academically at school, very well. You've got a more likely chance of of entering the criminal, you know, um, you know, the criminal justice system. Um, so we, there are there are issues that some schools need to actually tackle. Um, we have to get rid of a, a one size
1: fits all approach. It does not work for for a lot of our kids as well. Yeah. Uh, do you find, as somebody who has taught Māori and has has led that in a school? that languages in particular become that kind of focus point as well. Like, I remember when I was growing up and going to high school, there were I think three language choices, and it was Māori, Japanese and French. And you didn't have to take a language if you didn't want to. The people that took Māori, they were generally doing it because that was their, their history, and they wanted to learn a little bit more about, about their whanaukatanga. But for other people, it was French and Japanese. And, and that to me felt like a really weird, for a small country town, a really weird thing to tell people that you have to learn French or Japanese or Māori. Is, is, how does that all sort of come together to create the people that go out into society and, and make changes and all make choices that end them up in the criminal justice system?
2: Yeah, um, so a couple of things. So we just um, passed 30,000. Um, secondary school learners of te reo Māori for the first time. That's that's impressive. That's impressive, 30,000. And a lot of those students are non-Māori students. So I did my PhD on the learning experiences of non-Māori students learning Mm -hmm. te reo Māori. Um, But in terms of um, particularly Māori youth youth offenders that that commit crime, um, you know, there's also a lack of cultural awareness as well. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so identity is something that a lot of them talk about. They've, they want to know who they are, but they haven't been able to access um, um, who they are as Māori. So that could be, for example, maybe perhaps urban Māori who haven't been able to go back to their rural um, uh, for example, or urban schools not doing a good job at supporting um, Māori cultural identity. Um, That could be racism in schools, um, bias against Māori kids in schools. Um, so, yeah, a lot of different issues.
1: How on earth do you sit there and pull the threads? Cause it sounds like there's a lot of, it, it's a tapestry of, of sort of concerns and histories and experiences. How do you, as as somebody who studies this, pull the threads to find the core of it?
2: Yeah, um, I guess um, well, I've been lucky, for example, in that I have um, gone into Auckland University. So I've been a guest lecturer um, at Auckland University for the last couple of years on what's the best way to teach Māori students. What's the best way to understand Māori students? Um, and when I was talking to 200 plus student teachers, um, I said, because um, I, I conduct a lot of interviews with Māori youth, Māori youth, Māori rangta Māori, tell me, they talk to me about their favourite teacher and the qualities of their favourite teacher. A lot of them talk about um, their favourite teacher being non-Māori. So I have to tell these student teachers that you do not have to be Māori to be an effective teacher for Māori students. You just it's... have to show these qualities of caring, understanding, actually using their culture to inform your curriculum planning, things
1: like that. Is that actually, because again, not being an educator myself, it's it's not something I would have considered, but is it something that a lot of young educators are sort of sitting there going, right, how do I approach Māori students, how do I make sure that they feel included, or are they sitting there going, how do I be the most effective all-round teacher I can be for no matter where my students are from? Um, I think it's really cool that a lot of the, the newer
2: um, teachers are actually wanting to really tap into this because... Um, at university, you know, basically they're, they're, they're taught that there has been many decades, many years of underachievement um, for Māori students in particular. And so I know that these teachers will be coming in and saying, I, you know, I want to be the best for all my students. Um, and if I can find a way to be an effective teacher for Māori students, I want to learn how to do so. Because when
1: Māori students are doing well, everybody does well. That makes sense. You've got to get everybody involved at some level to make sure everybody gets lifted up at the same time. Yeah. In terms of non-native Maori speakers, saying migrants coming in from overseas, yeah. learning the language. Yeah. Um, I've got an ex who was very specific about wanting to make sure that he learned the language, that he was really specific about making sure he got the pronunciation right. Filipino, so he had a really strong accent, but still a lot of the language elements were the same so so the, the, the way that that words were pronounced were, were really similar between the two languages have you found an increase of people who are like yeah no I want to get involved from all sorts of different backgrounds and and wanting to pick up a little bit more today absolutely
2: absolutely And, um, you know working in school environments for example um the teachers who are who are from overseas are actually I felt um there is more motivation from them to wanting to learn more about Reo Māori than the other teachers. And I only say that because they don't have that additional, you know, when you're based in New Zealand and you've, you're used to things Māori, mm-hmm. they're not used to sort of the stigma attached to Māori at times here in Aotearoa. So they come from with, with no baggage attached. Okay, so They see this culture, they see this language, go, wow, this is really cool. I want to learn this as someone who who knows very little because I've come from... Um, overseas compared to those who are like oh you know they've grown around it it's like oh yeah yeah okay um who aren't as motivated or excited
1: to be learning about te reo maori but that makes a lot of sense actually that it's actually really cool to hear like it is it, 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 somebody who's studied this and who this is your passion how do you feel about people sort of looking to you as a community leader on this do, do you feel like a community leader on this
2: I, you know, I think that you just become a default community leader when you're like, <laughs> when you're the head of Māori studies at a high school, you know, because I always feel that high schools, sometimes the heart of a community mm-hmm. at times, you are almost like a default Māori leader, and I, I've accepted that. I've accepted that from a very young age, so when I was 22, for example, um, and so, um, you know, there are pressures with that. Um, you know, particularly if you don't come from the area as well. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not from West Auckland, um, but I've done my my best to really, um, to really uh, sort of make a difference to, you know, our young people as a teacher, but also the community um, as a local board, you know, elected Auckland Council local board member. And so um, what we're seeing attitudes change in our community, and it's really beautiful to see, actually, um, we're looking at building a
1: marae in Teatutu Peninsula. Oh, wow, um, I didn't realise that. That would be yeah. an amazing addition to have out there. It would be. It's been a 50-year battle.
2: Um, I think about 20, 25 years ago, there were a lot of people who didn't want that marae. Um, You know, I, I remember back in 2012, 13, when I first moved here, I heard a comment at a community meeting about the Marai. Someone was saying that, oh, you know, it would bring more gangs into the area. You know, just stupid, silly comments like that. Um, but it, it is likely to happen. Um, we're hoping next year, um,
1: but we'll see how things go. That's a long process. Fifty years is a long time to be fighting for something like that. The, the, the people behind it must be incredibly passionate about getting it up and running.
2: Yep. So the people who have been leading, who are leading it now. Um, it was their parents, their grandparents, who fought the the fight at, at the beginning, um, because what you will see is that you see in, in West Auckland a lot of the Māori living here, um, were migrants from rural areas. So you know the rural urban drift. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Māori community here had moved from New Zealand, for example, um, after World War Two, um, you know. Find um, job opportunities, education opportunities, so they moved to the to the city, and they wanted a cultural feature that sort of aligned with their views as Māori. And obviously, Amaui is is it.
1: So, you're yeah, hoping hoping for next year. Okay. And whereabouts is that in the process at the moment? Is that something council has to sign off on? Is there like have, have you got building yep. designs or? Yeah, Yeah, we have. We are probably. You're just basically
2: uh, waiting for someone to say yes. So. we're, we're five so the local board has and come back to the local board for one more time. we ninety five percent there. Yeah. There's just a few issues with driveway consent issues because basically <laughs> yeah, well this, this this is a this is a, a public park, right? Yeah. So we're so the Mirai space will take two point five hectares of their public park space. So there, are issues, there were there were issues around that. That's been sorted. So you're looking at the issues around the driveway access and how that would be. Um, it's, it's a path with a lot of bird life as well. So I want to ensure that, um, we, um, that less environmental damage is there. Um, so what ways? And I know the Marae committee are working on that mm-hmm. to sort of um have that really good balance. It's, it sounds like every detail has been taken on board. Yep. I mean, details were there 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, well, yeah, there was a model there 15, 20 years ago. So it's it's been a while.
1: Is, is that one of the sort of dream projects that you'd like to get sorted before the next election? Um, I, I was hoping it was um, the, the election beforehand.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: before. <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, the, the plans were to um, to give it the big tick in Matariki this year. But the, oh, that would be amazing. Away, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so there seems to be a new issue each time. So with with, with Matariki as a public holiday next year, um, I'm crossing my fingers that we can tick it off and sign it, the local board can sign it off and we can hand over the piece of whenua, the piece of land to, to, the, to the community, say, here you are. That
1: There's would be an amazing life. way to celebrate the first Matariki, the, fir- oh, the yeah. first public holiday. It would be, It'd be absolutely brilliant. Um, be how great. long does it take to build a marae? Uh, after they they get the consent and everything signed off, like uh, um, I, I've I've never been involved that much with building anything. <laughs> <laughs> a, a bit like me, um, <laughs> uh, um, you. There's a futures. Um, there's a difference.
2: <laughs> there's a lot of funding, as you know, um, and so I know that they have plans to fundraise a lot of them um, money um, and and um, resourcing. Uh, and sponsorship, for example, um, for the marae. So they're working on that because it does cost a lot of money, but hopefully as soon as possible, really. Um, actually, that's what we're doing now is trying to gain traction on, on getting the necessary funding to support. A, and it's going to be a beautiful
1: marae too. Going to it sounds be like it. I'm looking forward to coming and visit. You'll have to give me a tour because I don't awesome. get out to East Auckland all that often. I get, oh, you're missing out. I, oh, I know. I'm, I'm on the shore. So I get stuck around a whole bunch of old, creepy, racist white people. It's terrible. <laughs> it's it, it's it, it was honestly the biggest culture shock for me moving up here was just mm. how nasty some of the locals could be. And mm. the further north I went when I was working in Silverdale, honestly, just it was horrible having to be there. Um, we got broken into in the store that I was working in up there. Um, and I was at my grandmother's funeral when it happened. They had to come up for it. Um, the cop in full uniform comes up to me and he goes, oh, what you need to do is get yourself a shotgun. Like, well, we're a shop. We don't carry shotguns. That's not going to happen. Oh, if you see any Islanders show in a Suzuki Swift, you just pull out that shotgun and you take aim because tell you that's what they're doing. They come in here to raid you. Like, you're a cop. What the fuck are you Whoa. talking about? He goes, oh, th- this is all off the record. Like, Dude, you're in uniform at a location of interest. This is not off the record. Like, it's just... I find that sort of thing really abhorrent. Like, I, 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 it makes my skin crawl dealing with stuff like that. But I don't think I've seen it any worse than I've seen it here in the North Shore. Like, it, it, it it's awful.
2: That's that's really troubling, and particularly when a lot of our young Māori, but in Pacifica, you know, haven't had great experiences with the police. Yeah. Um. And that's really troubling. Um. You know, there were. You know, um, I remember a news article where police uh, saw these two eight-year-olds, Māori. Um, they went up to them and took photos of them on their phone. They hadn't done anything, they hadn't committed anything. Um, and so they, were, they, they got in trouble as a result of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know the police are trying to um, trying to do better in terms of relationships with our Māori Pacific communities, but you know, your example there just says we've still got a long way to go.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's, it's painful to watch. Like it's really painful to watch, especially coming from somewhere like Hamilton, where you have a larger Maori population than you do here. It, it feels so out of place to see something like that happen in this country. And it just, yeah, it, it annoyed the hell out of me. Was not fun. Um, two more questions for you. So, being a Westie, um, I've been yep. told any Westie politician I talk to, I have to ask the most important question you can ask a Westie: Holden versus Ford. <laughs>
2: Well, um, you know,
1: <laughs> that's a
2: really interesting question. I don't, I don't fit the whistle, you know, the Westy um, <laughs> really. um, but if I was to go, um, I'd go Ford. Um, actually. Why? Is is there a um, logic behind it? Well, because one of my friends has a Ford, so I'll go with okay. that reason. But You
1: can't get Holdens anymore. They don't make them anymore. Okay, well, that's, that's news to me. Yeah, and they, they stopped them a couple of years ago. They, they couldn't oh, get wow. the parts. And th- that's why the cops now using Skoda, I think it is. Because they can't get the Holdens. Oh, okay. yeah. um, and then the last question I've asked everybody, um, what advice have you got for people who are getting through lockdowns and various level alerts and and pandemics just to help them sort of get through the rest of the process obviously we don't know how much longer we've got to go with this but everybody's processing it differently everybody everyone's got different challenges what sort of advice would you give to people to help them through it i mean for me um i
2: make sure that i do 90 minutes of walking or physical exercise i have to i have to so if there's an opportunity to put the laptop down, turn the TV off, put your phone down, and actually go outside and go for a walk. That's really important. That's you know, it's Mental um, Health Awareness Week this week, um, so you know you have to look after your physical side of your of your health.
0: So I really encourage people just to go outside and go for a walk. I want to thank Dr. Wolf Flavill for taking the time today to have a conversation with me. I'm fully aware of just how busy elected officials can be. And when you're dealing with so much stuff going on all at once, as every elected official in Tamaki Makoto is because of the lockdown, as well as everything that you're doing yourself like, like Will with his education stuff, it's unbelievable how stressed you can be and how thin for time you can be. So I just wanna make sure everyone knows how incredibly grateful I am to have Will on the show. I'll make sure that there are some links in the description down below. So if you want to, you can check out some of his social media platforms. But I'd thoroughly recommend doing some research as well into the work that he's done and some of the guest speaking bits that he's done as well and some of his media appearances. Because Will is fantastic with communication and getting his message across in a way that everybody I think can understand, but everybody should also listen to very carefully. Don't forget, if you want to listen to this as a podcast, I'll make sure it's available through Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. As well other than that feel free to like share and subscribe this video and we will see you next time